Welcome to the Astral Mind Podcast. What is up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me. Let me get my uh, my mic in the proper place before we begin. It is a pleasure to be with you guys again. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Astral Mind Podcast. We've got another special guest on today. It's going to be teaching us about Buddhism, teaching us about what it means to actually meditate, what enlightenment is. I've got a ton of questions. You guys feel free to ask questions if you're tuning in live to this. Uh, if you've come all over from TikTok and you know Facebook and other places, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Uh, before we actually get started, um, I want to thank my Patreons. I'm going to have them in the description of this video for anybody who's coming in afterward. You guys are making this happen. I appreciate you so much. If you'd like to support these podcasts and these guests that I have come on and you know to have this thing continue going, uh, please consider becoming a Patreon and uh, subscribing to the channel so you don't miss all the good stuff we chat about. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it. Uh, uh, it I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> Someone else I found on TikTok. TikTok is a, is a goldmine of uh, inspirational people and just wisdom. You just have to know where to look exactly. So I'm going to introduce my guest to you guys right now. Uh, many of you know him. Uh, Buddhist monk. He's going to be teaching us many things, many things. How are you doing? My good friend. I'm doing well. My name is Venerable Jidao, T-R-I-D-A-O. And thank you for having me. Uh, it seems like we have some questions today for me. And I uh, can't wait to answer them. And if we have any additional questions thereafter about Buddhism, what is the monk life like? What is suffering? What is the, how do we go from suffering to the end of suffering? How do we achieve peace? How do we meditate? And moving on to enlightenment. Yes, definitely. Got a whole host of things to talk about today. So it's very, very good. Very excited. I feel like I'm super giddy about this. I don't know. I've never had a conversation with a monk before. <laughs> so you have to excuse my uh, my uh, my giddiness about this. Uh, but first off, I feel like it's really interesting just to talk about the process of becoming a monk and what your experience was, kind of what led to that for you. So my grandmother passed away in 2015, followed by my best friend, Jacob Hall, who passed away. And I was on a suicide mission uh, after that. Everything I did, all of my actions and thoughts was aimed towards suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I hit, that was my rock bottom. And yeah, I've always been veered towards Buddhism, but not like, not like this, not like this time around. Um, my grandmother got me into Buddhism. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, she was my best friend. I never got along with anyone else in the house. One could say that I grew up quite apparent, uh, have ADHD, just never sat still and just, I mean, just did not fit in. Um, you know, I was just a kid that's just a troublemaker. <laughs> so my grandmother was in, uh, was very inspirational. She got me to really look at how what peace is since she inspired me by and through her own actions, how peaceful she was and how friendly she was. Um, so that, that was the start of me getting into Buddhism. So I've been a, a monk going on six years now. Wow. So would you say it's 
a hard lifestyle change? I mean, if you say, like, oh, I'm a monk, that comes with the connotation of, like, <laughs> for a lot of people, I feel like it's, you know, sitting on top of a mountain, <laughs> like, meditating all day, something like that. Like, wh- what is it like being a monk? It's uh, especially a simple way of life, uh, simple way of living, and simple way of thinking. As we look at ourselves, as we look at our own faults, and we look at how we change to become a better human. A monk in Vietnamese language, li tu, tu means to change. So changing oneself for the betterment. And uh, there's a lot um, in part of being a monk. Uh, it's uh, quite liberating, quite free. Um, the path to peace and adopting the Buddhist way and method on this path has been quite extraordinary for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never knew what peace was. Uh, you know, I had jobs just like everyone else. I started working when I was 14, mowing lawns, fast food, working at the flea market, um, was a salesman, was a lifeguard for the city of Clearwater, um, selling jewelry, uh, you name it, uh, you know. Uh, subsequently, I became a legal and medical interpreter, uh, serving all areas of law, serving all areas of medicine. And that was when I started to observe suffering in humanity. Uh, when you see people get in trouble with the law, and when you see people, you know, divorcing, um, custody battles, child support, all of the pain and sorrow and misery revolving all of that. And in medicine, you know, you see how people also suffer in medicine, uh, body-wise, mental and physical suffering. Yeah. Um, so I believe that the, the causes and conditions were, the timing of it was just just right. For me to become a monk. Um, and, you know, we study a lot as monks. We study suffering and the end of suffering, the path that leads to true inner peace, true inner happiness, true inner liberation. Um, so I would invite anyone to actually give it a try. You don't have to be a monk all your life. In this tradition of Theravada Buddhism, there's part time monk program and full time monk program. Whereas you can try it out for a week, a month, six months, a year, and you can disrobe and go back into ordinary layman life and work and have children and get married and so on and so on. In Thailand, this is very common as it prepares the young man to be a man and to teach him morals and ethics um, before he gets married. So it's kind of like mental boot camp for them. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And I, I feel that, uh, like that seeing of suffering, uh, I feel like that's a big, uh, almost like a, a turnover that new leaf or that, that click where it turns on in your mind, like, oh yeah, like something, this isn't all that there is, you know, there, there has to be an answer for this. And, uh, especially with suffering, I, I worked in the, uh, the medical field. I wasn't, I wasn't a nurse or anything like that. I was actually a security guard for a little while. And uh, just seeing people uh, coming in, it was like west side of Chicago, so it was it was a really, you know, difficult area. So seeing that suffering, people come in with injuries and you know life threatening things like that, seeing how it affects their family, uh, it, it is uh, eye opening, you know. Um, so what would you say is the path to getting past suffering? So 
this is based on the Four Noble Truths and that there is suffering in life. That there is suffering in life. So typically, people who has a knee-jerk reaction when it, when they first read some of the Buddhist texts and they're like, well, Buddhism described life as suffering in life. Life is suffering. That, that pretty much draws them away quite fairly quickly. But in Buddhism, we actually try to see the true nature of reality of life, that it is, in fact, an undeniable objective truth that there is suffering in life. And what is suffering? Suffering includes birth, old age, decay, disease, and subsequent death in human. That's quite undeniable. Hmm. Everyone can see that very clearly. Uh, and whoever has not seen that clearly, just visit your local nursing home or the geriatric ward in the hospital, and you will see how all of us are subject to all of that. Um, the, the second noble truth, we suffer as a direct result of desire. Uh, mm. So we want a lot of things, right? We want fame, glory, status, money, car, Rolls Royce, diamond, white house, white picket fence, yeah. uh, pay raise, promotion. <laughs> when we examine Honestly. what we want, we, we see clearly how much suffering that causes us. Mm. Um, and number three, I teach my students, oh, if you don't want life to suck, stop wanting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you, say, you say that and I'm sure somebody's like, what is he talking about? <laughs> what is he trying to say? You know, it's a that's there, a difficult yeah. one, really. The, yeah, the actually the four number two that make it very young for all of my young young crowds out there. Um, there's like a whole academic study of the four noble truths because all of 45 years of the Buddha's teaching is compressed into the four noble truths. Mm -hmm. But in order to make it fun for young people to get the point and quite fairly quickly and get, get some giggles and laugh out of it, number one, you know, life sucks. Number two, life sucks because you want stuff. Number three, if you don't want life to suck, stop wanting stuff. And number four, the path to inner peace, liberation, and happiness is by following the noble eightfold path. Mm. So, you know, we describe the problem and we come up with a solution to the problem. Yeah. yeah. The noble eightfold path is also known as the middle way. And so not too lazy of anything, like don't mm. sleep all day, and not too and not too extreme of, of something, which is don't, you know, smoke weed 24-7. So the middle way is finding that balance in this very hectic world that we live in, you know. And pretty much it. Don't harm yourself and don't, you know, cause suffering to other people. So mm -hmm. there's it's a skillful way to approach life in finding the middle way, your balance. And this is all to the goal of living without suffering, essentially. Yeah, living without suffering, living the good life. You will, you can't exempt all from suffering. Everyone is subject to a little bit of suffering here and there. And, you know, some suffer more than others. But we can mitigate that. We can lessen the suffering by following the methods of the Buddha, by following the teachings of the Buddha, you know. Mm -hmm. you know pain in your life, you're going to have pain in your life, you know. And how you respond to that, how you react to that is within your circle and control, you know. Mm -hmm. And so basically living the good life and um, living life wisely, intelligently, and mindfully. Out of those four principles that you stated, 
obviously the hardest one, <laughs> just hearing it all, 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 automatically, is uh, not wanting anything. Uh, you don't want life to suck. Stop wanting stuff. It, it it's it makes sense. It's simple. It's just I feel like it's hard to implement that because like you you go through life wanting all sorts of stuff for all sorts of reasons. Like how would you go about? Say I was a student, like because I very much do want to stop wanting things. <laughs> if that'll get me past uh, a lot of the uh, suffering in life, but how, how do you go about doing that? Like not wanting. We humans were designed biologically and psychologically to want stuff. We were designed to compete, compare, want, never stop wanting. Uh, always raising the, the bar higher uh, to ensure our survival and for the advancement of humanity. This is this is why it's, it's this is why you know in America we advance so fast in medicine, advance so fast in all other sectors of of life that we see technology, medicine, law. Um, so we have to look. At, we kind of have to slow down a little bit and realize that well. How much wanting actually causes us suffering? Wanting is a good thing. Sometimes it is a good thing. But find the middle way in your desires and not to desire too much. Let's say you desire too much chocolate. Well, what happened if you desire too much chocolate? Well, you will probably get diabetes down the road, right? Yeah. If you desire gold, right? Well, how much gold do you actually want? You want your whole house to be made of 24 karat gold? Well, then, then now you have to uh, hire Secret Service agents to guard the gold that you have. Uh, does that cause you peace? Can you sleep well at night knowing you have all these gold stacked up in your basement or attic? And uh, does it cost you? Does it cost you peace? One must ask oneself that I'm consuming a pound of chocolate a day. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Does it cost you peace trying to get this promotion and trying to play politics at work? Does it cost you peace wanting a doctorate? in whatever, in engineering, in psychology, a doctorate in cell research, but we're struggling to get even past junior year of college. And how do we get there smoothly? Right? We just look at, look at life, examining life a little bit more slower so that we achieve some clarity mm. into the true nature of our desire to see what makes sense, what don't make sense, what is real and what is not real or are we fooling ourselves here um, so you know these like uh, like you know it's uh, desiring sometimes is a good thing but too much of it when it has gone to the extreme level is when it starts to cost you peace i see and peace is essentially obviously what we want like everyone wants to live a happy peaceful life naturally okay the definition of, of peace is free from disturbing emotions mm. Never heard that one. That's very nice. I'll take that. I'll use that. Thank you. Put that in my bag for later. <laughs> That's a good one. You talk copyright material. You can have it. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I love the non-copyright wisdom. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so with all of that, where does enlightenment kind of fit into that? Like say, okay, I'm following the middle path. I just happen to be someone who is crazy about this spiritual stuff and i always have been since i was a little kid i always kind of felt like something else is going on in reality it didn't really feel right um 
And I was like, there's something going on here. And so I, I, I've always been on this spiritual journey. Uh, and, you know, I heard about enlightenment when I was younger. And I was like, oh, man, that's it. That's the top of the mountain. That's the, uh, you know, what you would say, the the 24 karat gold house in this in this example. And I was like, I want this. I want this. Uh, where does that fit into the wanting and the peace and things like that? Or what is enlightenment, would you say? So there is two definitions to enlightenment and, and two way we achieve enlightenment. Uh, number one, um, enlightenment is in the here and the now. So at the, at the time of this podcast, if all of our listeners are mindful to the nature and tone of my voice and fully listening and absorbing what we're talking about, and they're not thinking about the past and they're not thinking about the future, that is your enlightenment. This is your enlightenment now in this moment. Um, that's nirvana. That's in Pali, nibbana. But we also know this moment doesn't last. As soon as this podcast is over, then they think about, you've got to pick up the kids, got to pay bills, you know, what happened yesterday and what I have to do in the foreseeable future, so on and so on. The second definition of enlightenment is arahantship, an arahant. An arahant is a fully enlightened being in this tradition of Theravada. And an arahant has to let everything go, especially at the moment of death. All of what we do in Buddhism is to prepare us for death. A good life equals a good death. And if you want to not take rebirths, which potentially could come back in this lifetime, like you take rebirth as a human, which is a blessing, actually, to come back into this lifetime, um, if you don't want to come back, then you would strive to be an arahant. So every Buddha was an arahant, but not every arahant becomes a Buddha. And hmm. a arahant has to let everything go. The difference between an arahant and a Buddha is that a Buddha knows everything in addition to have given up everything. But an arahant only has to give up all things. Giving up what? Giving up greed, anger, and ignorance. Uh, ignorance of the Four Noble Truths of what we discussed initially in this podcast. He has to let go of greed, which is desires. He has to let go of anger, which is two things that we've most commonly found in human. Who gets angry? Raise your hand. Uh, Obviously. Have it. And, you know. and who, who is greedy? Who wants more money? Raise your hand. Uh, who wants more chocolate? Raise your hand. Right? Stop so, calling me out on this stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm calling everyone, including myself, out. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I became a monk. All right. Uh, I was actually a very angry young man growing up. No, no if buts about it. I've done a lot of self-disclosure uh, when it comes to a lot of other previous podcasts. And, you know, I'm not perfect. We'll never be perfect. It is the art of living. It is the art of being human. You know, I, I've gotten in trouble with the law. I couldn't even count how many times the police comes knocking on the door. Mm. And they'd be like, excuse me, is this your son? You need to get your son. Um, you know, playing paintball at elementary schools, you know, and it's just, just, just absolute Tasmanian devil. You were a rascal. Uh, <laughs> I was. I, I, gave, I gave them a very hard time um, growing up. And so, you know, we, we use mindfulness meditation to achieve the middle way so that we can get closer to enlightenment, if not enlightenment itself. Mm. Is it tough? It is tough. It's very tough. See, in Buddhism, we emphasize 
uh, human effort and manual effort. So we can't pray the Buddha for stuff. We can't pray the Buddha and say, "Hey, hey, you know, I've 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 um I've donated a bunch of money, and, and can I just get enlightenment? You know, just out of your <laughs> just pure give goodness. me enlightenment now, right? Like <laughs> I've done enough. Right, yeah. right. And so, um, you have to look at that and see that the Buddha was a representative of the human race and he was proof that a normal human can in fact achieve enlightenment and that you can transcend your suffering um, and you can let go of everything. See clearly that, you know, you can become a Buddha and all of us have Buddha nature in us. You know, some people when they look at the word enlightenment or something like that, they're like, no, that's too far to reach. I can't mm. get there, so on and so on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I try to make it very easy in my teachings for people to get the point and to also put it into practice where it's fun and it's easy, um, that it's not far at all. If you dedicate to something, we know from research and psychology that if we really put our mind into anything, we can achieve it. Simply put, we wanted yeah. to be on the moon. So therefore, we humans put our brains together and boom, set foot on the moon. <laughs> we wanted to find a vaccine for this and that and we put our minds to it and building the car and now we have cars that can fly in Japan like up to like 15 20 feet you know it's always constantly growing and changing hmm. so enlightenment is not far at all um, the last video I did which is now gonna gather close to 5 million views was gaming and enlightenment and I was trying to appeal to our gamers out there, which we have a lot, including my dad, who's 72 and still plays games. Yeah, that's a good dad. Yeah. And, and um, I said, the only time people are typically in enlightenment mode moment is when they're playing video games. They're like really into it. They're like in the game. Nothing bothers them at that moment. They're free from disturbing emotion. Uh, can't say for all, but most. They're not thinking about the past or the future, especially if someone's shooting at you in the video game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're living it until the game is over. So a lot of people said, oh my goodness, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. So simple. So simple to tie it together. And in many ways, when we're washing the dishes, when you are really fully enjoying washing the dishes, and that's it. That's your enlightenment right there, just washing the dishes. When you're walking, do you know that you're walking? When you're breathing, do you know that you're breathing? Yeah. And how many times did it take someone to say, hey, take a deep breath? <laughs> yeah, before you, you start thinking like, oh, about it. Yeah. There yeah, it is. I, I forgot about this, this thing called mm. breath that I have. Mm. Yeah. So this first enlightenment, you would say, is a uh, kind of letting go or kind of an allowing of, like, the automatic process to happen, if you will, like... Uh, all of these things we do, like breathing, this is subconscious, you know, uh, is that, would you say it's a moving into that, like, just allowing things to happen? The first enlightenment, as described, is to bring your awareness and attention to the present moment, to whatever it is that we're doing. Be fully invested in that moment. Correct. If you're writing, just enjoy writing. Just focus on writing. Mm. Um, if you're, if you're swimming, just focus on your strokes and know that you're swimming 
raising the right hand, I know I'm raising my right hand. And the, the hand makes contact with the water, I know it's making contact with the water. Knowing the water is cold, knowing I'm propelling through the water. Okay, you ask any sports and athlete when they're in the moment of playing their sports, they are in full enlightenment, which is nothing matters in those moments anymore. They're so into the game that that's it. That's in the moment, the here and the now. No longer being disturbed by the past, not disturbed by the future. Okay, especially yeah. if they're going to win like a World Cup, Gold Cup or something. Right, they're in it. So it's very simple. The first, the first enlightenment that you know that I described is bring the attention and focus right here, right now. Which central to this practice is what we do is we bring your awareness to the breath. It's the one thing you have right here, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not breathing right now, we may have a problem. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the and when we notice the rising and falling of the abdomen, we are very much in the present moment. And in those moment moment, I, I call that a nibbanic moment, or in Sanskrit, nirvanic moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And how many more, how many of these moments would you actually like to have in a day? A lot of people are consumed with a lot. I just got off the phone with a lady an hour ago thinking about her ex that she dated for one year. And she says, Venerable, I think about him all the time. When I'm done meditating, he comes back to my mind. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, that's because you've been thinking about him and he has been occupying your mind more than you actually practice meditation. Had you practiced meditation more than think about him, then you could override in some levels of intensity of always recycling the past. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, you're just practicing being in the moment, so he's not there, right? I right. see. Yeah. Now, what's that? So the the second type of enlightenment is the is the kind that. Uh, I feel like that's the kind that's a little more confusing. It's like, I know about the present moment. And the problem that I feel like other people have, that I have myself, is that the present moment has this misconception that it is boring and that, oh, I'm just being mindful. It's like what I'm just thinking about walking down the street. Like, that doesn't seem like I'm ascending or, you know, that doesn't seem like anything special. What do you say to that? The second, the the, the first enlightenment, about being in the moment it's boring to people because they have been conditioned conditioned by by society to always keep moving to always think about when is the next big thing's going to happen the next super bowl buying the next car when is the next iphone's going to come out so on and so on again and goes back to keep on wanting because this moment is boring so therefore i want more exhilarating exciting moment well then go go skydiving (laughs) <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um you know so they they actually never truly have tasted peace when you compare american society to eastern society and how they really like solitude and silence enjoying silence like keanu reeves the other day keanu reeves everyone knows him said i enjoy silence because the world cannot seem to stop talking we sit in the car we we feel the need to turn on the radio we sit at home we're flipping channels left to right as soon as it hits commercial boring next yeah when does it actually stop we go to sleep and we still want noise in our ear 
we put fake sounds on. We put waves and rainfall and all these artificial sounds because silence is uncomfortable. They don't want to sit with the silence. They don't want to deal with their problems. They don't want to think about problems that arises. Problems that will have to be addressed sooner or later if you just face it. Buddhism is about facing reality head on and not to run away from them. We have distracted ourselves to the point where we don't want to face a lot of things like death and dying and all of these existential questions. So when it actually comes, you're in a world of hurt. You hit rock bottom, just like I did when my grandmother passed away. Right. Yeah. How would you suggest handling that? Because I feel like everyone has been through that. You know, you'd call it like a dark night of the soul or just waking up in the middle of the night, staring at the ceiling like, I'm going to die someday. Like what? You know, just having that like polarizing fear. I remember being a kid, you know, like, you know, in my old childhood house, just one day laying awake and just thinking like, am I going to die? Like, do I have to die someday? It's like, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have been born if I knew I was going to die. You know, as a kid, I was thinking that. Like, if Buddhism is about facing reality head on, like, what, how do, how do you go about doing that? Like, is it just, okay, face the experience head on and allow the emotions to happen, allow life to happen to you? So, people are afraid because there's a lack and deficit of information. Therapy, all therapy is, is information. Right. When you go see a therapist, all they're doing is trying to help you see the bigger picture and trying to make interpretations to give you information about yourself, how you think, how you feel, how you behave, simply put. Right. Um, Buddhism is described as the most effective, comprehensive educational system the world has ever seen. That's a good sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, uttered by Ajahn Jayasaro was a senior level teacher in this tradition um and i concur with that confidently so unshakable faith and confidence that it is a comprehensive and effective educational system because it teaches you exactly the meaning of life and what to do when we're in this life and how do we handle some of these fears that we have we take us from millions of years ago thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago Number one, we did not have clothes on. Number two, we hunt, gathered, and reproduced. And we dealt with death the way how it's supposed to be dealt with, which is take the body, discard it, cry a little bit, mourn a little bit, and move on. Mm. Right? We have artificialized humanity. We got buildings now. We got walls up uh, at funerals. We put makeup on the body like it's sleeping. You know, mm. we have... We spend billions of dollars on dermatology products so that we don't have to be afraid of looking at our own selves in the mirror because we have wrinkles and we realize we're aging. First noble truth, you are subject to birth, old age, decay, disease, and death. Decay. Every day we're decaying. Mm -hmm. We are subject to disease, which is what we see now, which is COVID and malaria and everything else, all the vaccines that you have gotten previously. Mm. You're subject to the flu. You're subject to a cold. You're subject to STDs. Simply put, it's part of being human. So when we see the true nature of reality of being human, and we're like, oh, got it. I'm subject to all these things. So I might as well 
use the teaching of the Buddha to move about life intelligently and wisely, mm -hmm. making informed decisions and choices mindfully. With that, you will have less fears. Okay. So, it, it we are fear-based. We are fear-based. Uh, yeah. Our mind was programmed for us to be fearful to ensure our survival. But when it has gone to the extreme part, that's where we have panic attacks, you know, uh, couldn't breathe, tightness in the chest. It has gone psychosomatic. You know, we have physiological responses to these stresses. It has taken over your life. Now you don't want to even want to open the door and leave the house. Hmm. Yeah, that's very real. I've, I've been through that anxiety before. And like you said, uh, a therapist will simply tell you, well, with anxiety, I can give you medication, but I can also just let you know if you just stop fighting the anxiety, like that's when it'll pass. You know, it's your constant uh, thought about it. Your fear about the anxiety coming back is what causes it to stay there. You know, you're keeping it in the forefront of your mind. Uh, it, it's been a hard thing to deal with, especially, I mean, anxiety was something that really bothered me a lot uh, just recently even. And when it comes on, I'm just like, all right, we'll just let it happen. I, I know I'm okay. I know I'm fine. This is just how things go. And then it subsides very quickly. Um, I, I recently heard that energy or, or negative or positive things are just energy. And uh, it's the, the things that we would call negative that because we're labeling them as negative, because we're looking at them from a certain lens that they stick around and they become so powerful is that we're, we're holding it at this. We're, we're trying to push away and, and get around it uh, as opposed to just letting it happen and move on. Mm. Yes. So I got so, an interesting question. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, I've got an interesting question for you. Yes. Uh, and possibly be it that you're a, a, a Buddhist monk, that it's not in the tradition for you to be able to do this. But what are, you, what are your beliefs on psychedelics being a means to uh, enlightenment? Have you I ever done psychedelics even? So I have not tried psychedelics. I gave a, a previous podcast with someone else on it, specifically on this subject. Um, on my YouTube. And um, so a lot of people want to, you know, well, there's many reasons why they try psychedelics. They want to open the third eye and they want to get around shortcut to enlightenment. And there is no shortcut to enlightenment. And right now, the risk outweighs the benefits that I have seen empirically reported um, on a beneficial scale and weight is that it's more harmful than beneficial to try it. You know, mm -hmm. you want to go on a trip. Yeah, well, I'll be careful with that trip because it might last a little longer than you think. Yeah. And it might make you see a lot of things that you don't want to see. You're ready to see the good, the bad, and the ugly mm -hmm. uh, about you and what you did, about the things that, you know, imaginary things. So, you know, our mind is already hallucinating even without psychedelics, with the, without the assistance of psychedelics and any other drugs or intoxicants, <laughs> our mind is actually very delusional the way it already is. Nonetheless, you now compounding that illusion, delusion, and ignorance even more. So mm -hmm. you have actually have pulled yourself away from the true nature of reality of life, the true nature of reality of being human, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what other people say. 
And then, so let's say you do, in fact, achieve enlightenment by trying psychedelics. The next question I have for you is, well, what happened if um, you run out of LSD? What happened if uh, you can't find shrooms? Hmm. Uh, you depended on that to achieve enlightenment. But now there's no more of it. You can't get it or they hike the prices on it. Oh, wow. Mm. Now, can that be said the same for Buddhism? Absolutely not. If you want enlightenment, back to the breath. And there you have it. You want peace? Back to the breath. There you have it. Mm -hmm. mm. So Free. Free, too, by the way. Free. Exactly. Free. <laughs> Don't cost nothing to re-up. Exactly. Breathing is free. Uh, and I, I've talked to a few people who've had what you'd say is an enlightening experience from psychedelics or any sort of hallucinogen or, you know, anything like that. And, uh, I, I do believe that there is a, a, a point of it where it is beneficial to an extent. I, I know that there are people who take it as a party drug, something like LSD or shrooms, just a party, just to, you know, have a good time. Uh, I, I do believe that there's a school of people that would take psychedelics and, and this is like the shamanic sort of journey and the belief like we're taking these substances to encounter or to help us you know navigate through another world to communicate with whatever is on that other side uh so i do see that it's beneficial there i personally don't do psychedelics just because like you said we're always hallucinating <laughs> and i'm hallucinating quite enough as it is uh but I, I do see the benefit in people, but I also see that it's it's a powerful tool. And with any powerful tool, I feel like it could be very quickly uh, used in such a way that it could be detrimental. Uh, and for a lot of people, especially people starting out with spirituality, it can be very detrimental. Uh, so, But you say breathing, for for instance. I've got the first type of meditation, and I feel like everyone has experienced that. And you talk about gaming. That's actually where I found the channel. Uh, I had seen you before, but then that one gaming video you made on TikTok, I was like, oh, this is a good one. Like, this is a really good one. I like this. Um, so everyone has been in that, the zone, you know, the, the flow state, if you want to call it that. Uh, the second type of enlightenment, uh, you would describe that as being free from everything is that like an ascending is that the process of becoming an enlightened master is that is it like some transcendental experience or something like that the second type of enlightenment arahant becoming an arahant is that you have to study a little bit more and you have to practice a little bit more mm -hmm. you have to so this, it's it's broken into the threefold training Okay, threefold training. The no the noble eightfold path is divided into three. And and the first one is sila. Sila is morality, also known as safety. Okay. Mm. Uh keeping a precept. Don't lie, don't kill, don't steal, refrain from intoxicating substance, refrain from sexual misconduct. You have to feel safe in order to do anything. <laughs> if you can't meditate if there's a rocket launcher flying across your head while you're out there in nature. So we have to create an environment within ourselves and with other people, the gift of safety, Atsila, okay? It cultivates mm -hmm. morality and ethics amongst you and all, all living beings around you, so that now you can move forward conducive to meditation, which is Samadhi. Second boat training is Samadhi, cultivation of the heart. And cultivation of the heart is the meditation part. You know, focusing on your breathing, okay, 
training your mind to see positive in everything, including the negative stuff. Mm. That's a tough then, one. Then that moves towards panya, which is wisdom. Wisdom arises as a direct result of you seeing the true nature of reality. So these are the steps and methods that we take uh, towards the second uh, definition and description of enlightenment, which is arahantship. I see. Okay. The Noble Eightfold Path leads you there, and you know, it starts with right view. Do you have right view? What is right view? You know, um, seeing seeing the Four Noble Truth is right view. Okay, because if you don't have right view, then everything thereafter that doesn't matter. Right action, right livelihood, mm -hmm. right concentration, right effort, right mindfulness. So all of that governs the Noble Eightfold Path, which is not in order. I just threw it out there, okay. but. The Buddha teaches you, you know, uh, like right livelihood and right speech. Right livelihood is that do not engage in jobs with the professions that has to do with killing, trading of weapons and arms, guns, human trafficking. It's not a good thing. It will yeah. not lead you to enlightenment. What is right speech? It's a big problem right now in, in our culture. Right speech, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it beneficial? Is the timing of this speech correct okay don't wait till at night to bring up stuff with your fiance because everyone's tired it's not the right time to practice right speech <laughs> yes <laughs> definitely so there is a methodology of becoming an arahant or as close as to being an arahant as much as possible it lies in the noble eightfold path mm. definitely patience right just talk let's talk about patience and deep listening alone how many of us listen without judging? Have you grasped the full story before you started judging? Mm -hmm. Right? Or did you actually listen to the story in details? Or as they were talking, you started coming up with ways how you're going to respond and react? Oh, man, that's that's basic conversation. That's like when it comes to anticipatory speaking. Correct. And when it comes to patience, it's uh, patience. Right? Okay, well, come see me. Whoever wants to know about patience, come see me because I will test your patience. That's a, that's a teacher's job. The teacher's job mm. is to focus, stick at you and see how well you react and how well you respond. Mm. Patience, when someone jumps in front of traffic in front of you, how are you going to respond? Especially when you have a 38 sitting in the glove box. Yikes. Mm. You're supposed to look at every situation as positive. You know, that state of mind okay. where even the negative is positive. So, you know. The They're, guy cutting in front of you, the guy cutting off in front of you, he's probably going to see his pregnant wife or an emergency or his dying dad at hospice. He probably cut in front of you, not even realize he cut in front of you because he's in such mental pain and suffering, mm -hmm. you know, and you thinking that this guy did it on purpose, willfully, knowingly and intentionally try to do this. Who, who is he trying? I know you didn't try me. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Smith and Wesson, yeah. who are you trying? Yeah, <laughs> the rascals. Uh huh. So you're not trying me. There's no. There's no chance. So you know when we when we examine the life skills necessary to be humans, you know we see how difficult and challenging it is. You know it's just so easy to cuss and throw the middle finger rather than being patient, and you know practice endurance, patience, loving kindness, compassion, and deep understanding in these moments that really presses your buttons mm. cannot be an arhat if you respond in anger simply put yeah
Have you ever, uh, this might be a silly question, have you met an Arahant? Is that something that happens frequently? Where someone has, you know, reached this, like, Buddhic state? I have suspicions of my, my teacher, one of my senior level teacher, and other people have uh, touted this around the monastery and in society. Uh, of course, we're, we, I mean, we can only suspect, we really, we, we really don't know unless we're actually there. I mean, how do you know what it's like to be a doctor if you haven't gone to medical school, right? So, it, yeah. you know, you, you can't jump to master's level if you're still um, a junior in college. <laughs> so, you know, they've, they've, yeah. they've, and I have, I think it's easy and it's also hard at the same time to gauge an arahant because, see, when, I'm, when I was around my grandpa, the man was full of peace. When you were around him, you were at peace, and he is at peace. There is no disturbing anything. This he did positive vibe energy. My great grandmother, also the same, which is my grandmother's mom, was so zen that when you saw her, you were in enlightenment with her. Nonetheless, if she's enlightening herself, you know some of these people, it just draws you in. And this teacher uh, of mine, you know, uh, Venerable Kim Chiu. Uh, in Pali, Kipapanyo, very zen, so calm, so zenful, uh, which is like, we wonder if he's actually an arahant. He don't really talk much. He speaks when only necessary. Mm-hmm. And when he says one sentence, it is very deep. Uh, they've already built a bronze statue of him at the Mahasatipatthana Meditation Center. And, and uh, we see these a lot, like previous arahants, in Thailand, they make bronze statues of them, and they pretty much idolize them because, you know, like a Jan Cha. I'll show you a Jan Cha. I've got a picture of him right here. Yeah, show me. Show me these Jin Chas. This is a Jan Cha oh. Supato. Yeah. Super That's his name, a Jan Cha. A Jan Cha died in, I think, 1992 or 1995, one of the years. His words still live until this very day. The way he teaches gives insight that he was an arahant and all of his previous students have said he was a fully enlightened being uh, some of his students still live until today like Vener- venerable ajan amaro venerable ajan jayasaro mm. and venerable it will come to my mind but these are senior level teachers that was under the direct care observation direction and instruction and teachings of a Jan Cha. So, you know, I'm still very junior. I consider myself still a student. Um, I'm not a guru. I'm, you know, I'm just a very simple monk. But, uh, yeah, you, you're around some of these people and it's just like, whoa, wow. Uh, it's peaceful being around you. I can use a lot more of this than being around my other peers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me take some of this home with me, bottle it up. Uh so where where do like the abilities come in? Like, uh, and I, I say abilities again. Another silly question. I, I I'm a man filled with questions. Sure. <laughs> I guess you could say. But like the I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Like uh, cities or, or cities. I'm assuming like these abilities or uh, that you would ha- that an enlightened person or uh, someone who's reached that state that we've been previously talking about. Uh, have you experienced these, or are these possible? The question one more time. Just one more time. 
uh, like uh, like these supernatural abilities as a result of reaching this enlightened state that we're talking about? Have you experienced them? Or do you believe that they're a thing? Are they attainable? Things like that. Absolutely, they are attainable. Um, let me think for a second. An Arhan rarely shows himself because he really enjoys solitude. He has insight into the true nature of reality of humans. Humans can really push buttons. We know that, to simply put. Arhans dedicate, once they have gotten to that stage, they dedicate more additional studies. Again, a Buddha is, knows everything, and Arhant does not have the same knowledge as a Buddha. So he would strive continuing to study. It's like PhD and master's degree. <laughs> you get the master's degree, you would want to strive for your doctorate and how long you have to study for that. Uh, Arhants really enjoy their peace, in the, typically in the forest. Um, yeah, they, they are something else when you meet them. These are very much attainable. And some of the practices that prepares you to become an Arahant is also attainable. Had you just, if you just trust the process and try it out for yourself, like right, let's bring back right speech. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it correct? Is it beneficial? Um, and simple. The teaching is very simple. The Buddha said, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Now practice that today. The next time somebody says something and you, you feel the need to fire back, don't. Just remain quiet. Why would you argue with a fool? Do you, you think a fool knows what's right and what's wrong? Do you think you can convince this fool to see your side of the story? No. You know? Mm. Um, there's many parables and many examples of the wise and the fool. You know, the wise once, uh, I'm sorry, the, the fool once spoke to the wise and about arguing and the, the the and pretty much the wise person just says yeah you're right everything the fool said the wise person said yeah you're right because yeah. you tell them otherwise they're still gonna be they're gonna think they're right anyways uh, unteachable yeah. yeah all right so in buddhism every moment be teachable no matter how old you are mm. be teachable in every moment if you open the door for me, you become the teacher. I'm the student. If I open the door for you, then I'm your teacher. You're now the student. See, I just teach you kindness. And yes, there's people like me out there. Hmm. That's a lifestyle. So absolutely. It is, it is attainable. A lot of things are attainable. Hmm. <laughs> Achievable, attainable, doable. Hmm. Interesting indeed. Interesting indeed. I've heard in a lot of places that those like abilities like you know, having your third eye open and different things like that and, you know, powers of the mind, being able to do all sorts of cool things, reading people's minds, stuff like that, uh, would just be a distraction from the goal of becoming like a Buddha, something like that. Uh, what's your take on that? The take of going, you're going to have to rephrase the question. Uh, more specifically, do you see it as a bad thing for people to seek experiences that are like transcendental and uh, abilities and things like that? Like I, I got my spiritual start from uh, astral projection and the pursuit of that. And I built my channel off of that. Like it was 
it was the thing I held on to because it was my evidence that there was more to reality than just what we experience. You know, right. go to work, go to sleep, do, wake up and do it all over again. Uh, when I asked for projected, I was like, this is it. Like, I need to keep doing this. I need to figure this out. Uh, so what would you say to that? Like seeking of those abilities. So we create our own hell or heaven where we are and we take our own hell or heaven with us. So you, if you were to seek out enlightenment and peace and you go to Thailand and if things are not resolved back at home, essentially you're taking hell with you to Thailand or the Caribbean or Maldives Island or Philippines or wherever you want to go in the world. Okay. Enlightenment can be achieved right here now in the present moment, no matter where you are. I also acknowledge that sometimes people need to get away from toxic people in their lives and change their environment so that it makes their environment conducive to look inwards for their pursuit of spiritual growth and development. Um, so, yeah, you just got to think about it. You know, it's, it's, well, where am I in life? This is why I do one-on-one sessions with people um, on Instagram and Facebook. I, I make myself readily accessible to people at any point in time. Uh, to see, you know, where they're at in their growth and development spiritually and to give them wise counsel is that, you know, if I go here, you know, what's, what am I looking for? What am I searching for deep down inside? Where do I go and who do I want to go with in this life rather than just up and leave? But then you bring all these hell with you. you again, every day we create our own hell and heaven in our minds. The only enemy we ever had was greed, anger, and ignorance all up here in our mind. The only enemy we ever had. When we look at how war is being waged, look at the leaders who's waging wars, right? Look at the greed inside of their mind. Look at the anger inside of their mind. Look at the ignorance in their mind. And therefore, now they're in position of power. And now they wage war with another country because they want the natural resources, the gas, the stones, the gold. Mm. That's the story, man. (laughs) That's the story. So, you know, but you know, if you still have greed, anger, and ignorance, and you take it elsewhere, it would still follow you. You know, yeah, so we have to. You just got to untangle the tangle. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I myself and other monks seek to help people untangle the tangle. It can get complicated. So you speak of monks, and uh, that was one thing I was interested in asking you, uh, because I was I was very interested in like becoming a monk when I was younger. Um, what is monastic life like? Do you stay at the monastery? Can you? Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people prefer to stay in the monastery. In this tradition of Theravada, after five years of apprenticeship, you can go off on your own. You can be a wandering ascetic. Um, you can be independent, such as myself, an independent monk who is no longer associated with any temples or monasteries. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of issues in monasteries just like there's issues in anywhere in school system in religious systems in hospital systems <laughs> um, yeah, and some sense. people like being around o- o- other people um, monks after their apprenticeship usually they go off on their own into the forest and to look deep within themselves look deep at their own greed anger and ignorance and they try to transcend that as much as possible study very hard practice very hard so that they don't take additional rebirths in the foreseeable future and to get as close as to being an arahant as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but like I said, you got to try it. 
everything in Buddhism is a scientific thing, uh, scientific method, is that the Buddha encourages you to try it and see results for yourself, all of his teaching, including meditation. Even if I was an actively living Buddha in front of you now, even if I am an active living Arahant in front of you now, whatever I say, your job is not to believe me. And your job is to try it for yourself. And this is found in the Kalama Sutta. So do not say anything, do not believe anything that I said. Uh, this whole podcast, don't believe nothing. Your job is to put it into hypothesis and test it. And the, and the Buddha said that. What a confident man to have said that to all of his previous followers. Was that, you know, try it. If you like it, keep at it. If you don't, you are free to choose any other religion and philosophy you like. Give it a shot. If you don't like it, go on. You don't have to stay here. <laughs> Do right. your own thing. That's a, that's a good way to be. One of the best ways to be, actually, is uh, give people that freedom not to believe you. Because in that, it, it gives you a, an excellent level of credibility. It's like, I'm not telling you you have to believe me. Like, just If you don't, that's fine. It doesn't change what I'm doing. It just, you know, it's up to you. Uh, what do you believe about the afterlife? You, you mentioned um, rebirths. What do you think the process of death and rebirth is? So there are six realms of rebirths. For example, the human realm is a favorable realm. The animal realm is an unfavorable realm. Depending on your karmic debts, depending on what you did in this lifetime and previous lifetimes, you will take rebirths. If your karmic debts have ripened, ripening like a fruit. So, you know, our goal is to give more and take less in this life in order to change the trajectory of our karmic debts to in crafting your karma, dedicate your mind, body, and speech for the benefit of humanity. Simply put, if you give more and took less, good life equals good death. And so what 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 really matters after that if you've lived the good life in this particular lifetime? You know, heaven, hell, uh, living eternity or taking rebirth, does it really matter? You know, I don't have any proof of that. Um, there's books on it. There's University of Virginia research on rebirth uh, and afterlife. Um, but for me, when I teach this, I'm like, arahantship, real or not, does it really actually matter? If you strive towards an arahantship and if you don't get it, does it really matter? Um, rebirth, does it really matter? It really doesn't matter. But if we if we follow the teachings of the Buddha, we instantly see peace in this lifetime. And that's really all it really matters is right here, right now, I'm peaceful. I'm peaceful right now with me. I'm peaceful right now with you and with all. That is enlightenment, right? That's proof right there. So if you continue that until the moment of death, are you guaranteed to have a good death? Most likely, very much so. You know, I, mm. I, I actually jumped into a coffin during a death meditation teaching i went down south st pete knocked on a funeral door said hi i'm a venerable blah blah blah, and i teach and i was wondering if i can jump into your coffin like right now and teach uh, he said sure he picked me up <laughs> sure, dropped man. me in the coffin he says you were the first person i put in upright and they lowered my body downwards and i was like oh i didn't know that you know I didn't know that, you know, it can go up, go down. It's like it's springy in the coffin. And I give my teachings like I always do. Everything I tell you now, I just basically repeated myself in the coffin. And the funeral director sat there with 35 years of experience. He said, you know, Venerable, everything you say is true. And let me tell you something. The way how they live their life usually determine the way how they die. 
So if you're a drug dealer and you're selling dope and you're carrying a nine millimeter on you, well, guess what? Guess how? Guess how do you exactly think you're going to ride this thing out towards the end? Probably with a couple bullet holes inside of you, mm-hmm. and that that dime sack in your pocket when they find your body. Yeah. Yes. So rebirth is I have. I have observed very close to rebirth as much as possible. Like my grandmother died, I have reason to believe that she rebirthed into a lizard to scare my mom to kind of say, hey, hi, I just want to let you know I'm here. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I have watched karmic deaths play out in other people's lives. Um, certain karmic deaths and, and stuff like that, I would describe as capital felony life sentences from karma meaning whatever they did in their previous life they they that they were going to ride the sentence out and uh from what i can see and observe it doesn't seem like their condition is going to get any better anytime soon the whole family actually so i've been observing a lot of people go through life and uh, they received very heavy sentences from from karma so but yeah, you know, I as a monk uh, read all of all of the reports. I've listened to all of the advanced level teachers on rebirths. I have unshakable faith and confidence that there is rebirths. Mm-hmm. Um, simple, you look at dogs, right? Just look at the unfavorable mm-hmm. realm rebirth of dogs, and we realize they were once humans because they have different personality, style, trait, disposition, character. You know, some are ignorant, some are not. Some are very. Some tell us what to do, and we're like, "Are you serious? Who's alpha here?" Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you look at certain species and the intelligence level of species and their nature, style, characteristic, you know, traits, uh, you see, wow, they're human or human characteristics or some borrowing of human traits um, that they're exhibiting gives rise that they were probably once human. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, that's something I like people to further your your, your research into it. Mm. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's always been something that I found to be quite interesting, especially uh, since I've taken on the practice of like hypnotherapy and taking people to past lives and different things like that. Their accounts of different things has always been interesting. It's it's always thrilled me, especially with astral projection and all that. How do you think you break out of that though? That rebirth is there a point where you don't have to like go through reincarnation? so rebirth reincarnation two big difference reincarnation implies soul rebirth does not Mm -hmm. rebirth implies streams of consciousness soul implies permanency uh no soul uh streams of consciousness subject to change like everything else in life everything is subject to change in buddhism you five years ago were you the same person as you are today and five years down the road you're going to be the same person you are now so that's the big difference between rebirth and reincarnation the only way to stop rebirth and take no more additional rebirths in the foreseeable future is to become an arahant. Oh, all right. That's easy. <laughs> it's easy peasy. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm over this thing. I, I think I learned the lesson. We're good. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's that makes sense. I like that. I like that a lot. And with karmic debt, it, it sounds very... Like you said, it does sound like a a sentence, like a, a jail sentence. You know, uh, it's like it is described. It is described as the law of cause and effect. 
But the way how I teach it, I say, hey, pretend like this thing is a judge or a jury, and it's always watching you, even when no one's watching you. Um, just when you think you're about to do wrong, are you going to do what you really want to do, or are you going to do the right thing? Are you going to do the right thing, or are you going to do what you really want to do, even when no one's watching? Well, karma's always watching. And like I said, some of these families, you know, I've been an interpreter and taken on roles very similar to a social worker for 13 years, observing people's lives, how they go through it, how they die, how they live, what they give, what they take. And I'm telling you, wow, like I got some sweethearts out there that they are so adorable, sweet. They will never, they have never, I've never observed them done anything wrong. I've never observed them said anything that is harmful to humanity to themselves, to any, anyone, but yet they're just suffering to no end, to no end, no foreseeable end. Mm. So that's what I described as capital life felony karmic debt. That's scary, that man. Whatever they did to whoever in their last life, whoever they yeah. killed or hurt or stole from, this life, you will pay for it. And that's enough to warrant the consideration of give more in this life, take less, don't do harm to yourself, don't do harm to anyone else. Dedicate your mind, body, speech, and energy for the benefit of humanity. And uh, this is the same things that the Dalai Lama have, have said over and over again. And this way, you know, you, you can live the good life and a good death. Hmm. Yeah, that's scary, man. Because <laughs> you say these people are really nice, really kind, sweethearts. They, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly and they're going through hell and high water it's like oh man that's you know i obviously don't see what they did in a past life so to me it's just like oh that's horrible you know it's terrible that they're going through that is there no way to stop that karmic punishment it seems like i don't the buddha have said it himself even if we even if i myself sitting in front of you have defended five dissertations on rebirth and karma i still wouldn't know the actual mechanics of how karma actually really works said the buddha one of the things that you're never going to be able to fully grasp and fully understand is the mechanics of karma. So all mm -hmm. we can do is hope, right? It's wise fear to respect karma. And it is hope that by giving more and taking less, that we will mitigate the suffering and mitigate the debts as much as possible. If we don't see benefits in this lifetime, hopefully it will come to fruition in the near foreseeable lifetime to come. That definitely makes sense. Yeah, it's better to live... You know, it's better to live like it's going to happen and that there is something to look out for than to mindlessly go through life and create, you know, karmic debt for yourself that you'll have to pay for. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Well, is there anything that you particularly want to talk about, particularly want to tell people as like an ending note? Is, uh, you know, I've taken up a ton of your time already. Try to be kind. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, is there something that uh, a particular message that you want to give people, like a misconception that you want to clarify? No, not not really. Um, the, the the last message is to have an open mind and approach Buddhism with curiosity and give it a try. It's very peaceful. Um, it will bring peace to your life. It will bring peace to everyone in your family, our society, and community. How does change happen? Just like Michael Jackson said, is by looking at ourselves in the mirror. And when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see our faults 
the faults in our stars, the stars in our, what's it, the faults in our stars. I think it, it takes a brave and courageous person to say, yeah, yeah, maybe I am controlling, maybe I am angry, and maybe I have these things that I can improve on, and use the teachings of the Buddha as a catalyst to, for change, to change, a methodology uh, to change. And if each person adopt this method and change themselves, we will see that they will affect change in their family. We inspire by and through our own change, simply put. And then it will inspire their family, and their family will notice a difference. And then our group, and then our society, our community, our state, and then nationally. That's how change happens. And literally, be the light that you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. You can make it happen. Right after this podcast, you can learn meditation. You can study the Four Noble Truths and put it into practice. You know, we need more kindness out there, especially with all this pandemic and mass mandate and vaccine and opinion nations about everything. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I just want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to be joyful and uh, experience what Buddhism has done for me. And I hope to inspire all of you with my story, where I've been, where I'm at and where I'm going with this. Um, and one day I hope to have my own meditation center and help students uh, do the same. These these things are not being taught in school, so I want to, some, somewhere down the line, I hope to put mindfulness meditation in schools. It will increase student resiliency and mitigate student and teen suicides. Yeah. Well, more power to that. I'd, I'd love to see that. That'd be cool. Just to see it as it's happening, that, that'd be excellent. Uh, yeah, more power to that. Uh, and it, could you also tell people where they can find you, if there's a project you're working on, anything like that? Uh, as like an ending note. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook with the name GDAO, T-R-I-D-A-O. You can get with me one-on-one at any point in time. I'm always doing some kind of a project, um, working towards training other Buddhist monks to become Buddhist psychotherapists, right? To become Buddhist physicians, mm-hmm. spiritual physicians, um, because we need more monks out there to continue this type of work. Should I not exist, you know, yeah. <laughs> one day I will not exist, cease to exist. Just like all of us subject to, to death, you know, dying, decay, <laughs> old age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, monks teach for free. I teach for free. We only depend on donations from the people. So, and that helps affect the purpose of uh, whatever mission that each monk has for the benefit of humanity. Um, you know, by giving more, taking less, we also decrease our own greed. Right? So as we give more and take less, we stop being greedy. Yeah. So I just yeah. like to everyone, you know, to just take a look at, you know, the, the three poison, greed, hatred, and ignorance, and look at the Noble Eightfold Path. And uh, it's a very fun journal, uh, journey, very fun journey. Mm. Um, hopefully that, you know, I, I laid it out easy to understand for everyone. I'm pretty sure people will have comments and questions after today's podcast, but just feel free to, to shoot the message. You know, I'm here for you and for all. Mm. Hey, thank you again. Um, uh, again, it was, it is amazing contacting you. Cause I saw, you know, I was like, I really want him on the podcast so much wisdom that I want shared with as many people as I can reach. Uh, and it was just uh mind boggling. Like, oh yeah, sure. Why not? I'm like, Oh wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Thank you again. Uh, just stick around and, uh, you know, we, we'll talk like after this is done for like a minute or so. Um, let me see if people have any like pressing questions that I can answer. Uh, no, no, no. We look like we're good. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go ahead and end us out. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Ass Mind podcast, guys. Thank you so much for joining me again. Again, I want to give a shout out to those Patreons, people who are donating and supporting. Uh, I thank you guys so much because it allows me to keep doing this and to give my time to this, uh, singularly. I, I really do appreciate that guys. If you do need my help, if you're trying to contact me for counseling or astral projection advice or any of those things that I do, you can click the link in the description. Again, if you want to find uh, uh, Venerable, go ahead and uh, I'll have the link in the description of this video after the podcast is done uh, so that you can contact him and get help from him and things like that. Uh, again, I love you guys. Wish you guys all the best in the world. Uh, if there's anything you need, let me know. And as always, guys, you know, blessing, love and light, namaste. And as always, never stop adventuring.